Welcome back to the TLP Report Podcast. On this episode, part three of our conversation with Discoveryland lead Imagineer, Tim Delaney. And this time around, it's all about the Nautilus walkthrough attraction. Plenty of stories and plenty of anecdotes about this wonderful attraction. We'll also talk a little bit about Star Tours and his more recent projects, Paradise Pier at Disney California Adventure, plus stay till the end for one last Space Mountain anecdotes. But we start right now with the Nautilus. The Nautilus is uh, one of the attractions that spanned with 20 Thousand Leagues Under the Sea has spanned from many different uh, Disney theme parks from uh, Walt Disney World to Tokyo to Paris. Uh, I was just wondering how did that decision to bring the Nautilus to Paris come about and uh, how did you decide on uh, the walkthrough attraction? How did it arrive in Paris? Well, um, again, you, you're, you're, um, you're, when you think about the 20,000 leagues under the sea, I mean, I, I, uh, you, you, you have to remember when you're dealing with Imagineering, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of super, super, super duper Disney freaks. And so if there's a chance to build a Nautilus submarine, we're going to do it, you know. So um, there was always a guy who was hanging around, you know, he occasionally would work at Imagineering and he'd be in the model shop. And, and, and I think you put, it, you put it in those notes about that. His name is Tom Sherman. And um, Tom Sherman was a guy who, um, oh, you know, never married and kind of a loner and kind of a, but an interesting guy, really interesting guy. But when he saw the, when he first saw the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea movie, it just captured him, and he he, he kept this as a kind of big time theme uh, throughout his whole life, his entire life. You know, it was kind of amazing. You know, he um, he would build Nautilus submarines, and he he eventually, as he got older, he had an apartment that he turned into the whole Nautilus interior and built with rivets and pipes and all that stuff. And, and Tom was, you know, again, he he did a lot of uh, special effects work and model building for a lot of uh, movies in Hollywood. Um, and he he made a he he made a series of thirty inch long Nautilus submarines, which he gave he he handed out to people. He gave me one. And um, it was really great. So um, what happened is that we decided to build the Nautilus. And what we were going to do is um, um, build, we we're going to build the exterior, obviously, in, in, in Paris. But the interior was going to be built in our facilities in North Hollywood here. Um, and it was going to be built up on a raised platform. We we're going to build the entire 120-foot-long ship. And it was all going to be dismantled and sent to fair. It was going to be completely finished, art-directed, interior finishes painted we did the whole thing you know and it was really quite amazing so we were so we decided to do it and, and really i was trying to figure out how to actually do the squid scene you know the scene in the in the uh, salon and you know we just didn't have the technology to do video then and i just i, I kind of regretted not i mean we should have pushed it but we didn't and it was a really super tight budget it was like 15 million dollars to do the entire thing but the one thing I did want to do is make sure that you, you to, to at least create the impression that you're going into the submarine. So, as I said, transitions from one thing to the next are really important. So, you know, built the lighthouse and you have the circular staircase that winds you down, round, round, round. And then it's, it's just a mirror of where the real box is. The box is over behind the sands. You know. But then had you come back out through the through the. Uh, to the bow, I guess that's what it would have been. And then, you know, you walked out. And so you kind of, people, whether they got the connection or not, um, people really kind of appreciate the idea that you made an effort and not like, well, you know, here's a door that you walk in and here you're a submarine. It just doesn't work that way. 
the other thing that I did is, that, you know, I also learned a long, a long ago a lesson on, on, the, um, um, on the Living Seas Pavilion. Um, we developed a uh, hydrolator, which is a fake elevator. And the fact is you transition from the outside to the inside. This elevator took you down to the depths of the ocean, which, you know, it just moved half an inch, but it was a special effect. And again, whether it's effective or not, I think people do appreciate the fact that you actually have gone ahead and tried to create a special effect that way. So, so we built the Nautilus and it's beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, it's been damaged a couple of times by people who have broken in and smashed things up, which is sad. But it, it took Tom, I took Tom and I said, Tom, because he's a world-class expert on the Nautilus. And he was, he was a friend of Harper Goff. Harper Goff was the original designer for the Nautilus submarine. And, and Harper Goff was in Imagineering when I first started too. Anyway, so he, he said, all right, here's what I would do, the best of. So we had Nemo's cabin, you know, the, the navigation room. I love that scene where the, the divers would go down the uh, dive chamber and out into the ocean and, and the Grand Salon, you know, had did all that. And so, I mean, it was, it was really great to do. Um, the one kind of interesting experience I had was um, um, one night I got a call, it was late at night, and I got this call like, well, can you go, uh, the Nautilus was in the process of being built, and, you know, it was, it was installed, being installed, and so there was, the construction fence was all around that, plus the construction fence around Space Mountain, so um, I, um, so I went out there, and uh, so I see Jeffrey Katzenberg come walking up, you know, and the park is closed, it's all dark at night, you know, and so I had the key to unlock and go in. And with him, he had uh, Michael Douglas with him, you know, the actor Michael Douglas. And so we, I open the gate and we go in and there's the Nautilus sitting there. Michael Douglas goes, oh my God, like the Nautilus. He says, I remember my dad was filming 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in the studio. It was, oh, we had, it was such a memory. It was such a great, 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 great great memory it's like fantastic i go oh well that's that's nice you know it's really nice i said uh, i said to him by the way michael i'm i met your father uh long ago and we were working on about the same time i mean about the same where we were we were still just finishing the living seas pavilion and mike and kirk douglas was uh on on the epcot property so they had him come over and so we took kirk douglas and I, I walked him through the queue line, queue line, and we came to, the queue line was filled with a bunch of ancient undersea artifacts. And there was a Tom Sherman built 10 foot long Nautilus submarine. And it had a poster of 20,000 leagues under the sea. So Kirk stops immediately, looks at this thing. And he's like, oh my God, I love that movie. He's like, God, I wish I had a poster. I go, let me have your address. I'll send you a, a poster. So I wrapped it up and sent it to him, gave me his address. And I got a really, really, really nice letter from him. So, so I said to Mike, Mike, uh, Michael Douglas, I said, so, you, you know, I said, yeah, I met your father. He's, I said, I met your father. He actually sent me a really nice letter. And he goes, oh, that's what my dad does. You know, he sends letters to people. You know, he, he loves to send these letters to people. And he, he says, well, you know, what you should do is you should invite him to the opening. So I was like, all right, I will do so. 
So I, I went back and I wrote this letter to Kirk Douglas because I had his address. And he, I said, hey, you know, we'd love to have you come to the opening. I didn't ask anybody. I was like, what the heck? So he sent me a, and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I sent you this poster. And he sends me this letter back. And I have all these, these things. It's so precious to me. He goes, oh, Tim, of course I remember you. You know, you sent me that poster and it was really great. It's unfortunately, my schedule doesn't allow it. And so I can't tell you, you know. But I do, the one regret I have is I should have invited him over. I should have invited him over to our North Hollywood facility just to walk through it. It would have been really cool. And, you know, sometimes when you look back, you're like, oh, what does it matter with me? I was so dumb. <laughs> you know, you, you don't realize until you get older, you're like, nobody gives a crap about anything anymore. Stop worrying about stuff. And I just didn't think of it. I was so busy, you know. But, yeah, it was really neat because he was, um, you know, the, the submarine looked great. It had a big impact on the studio. Um, it's still iconic. I still think the Nautilus submarine, and a matter of fact, I'm doing Another, I just sent out information about another Nautilus model that I'm building for Bob Ballard on his his ship, the Nautilus. We're putting a Jules Verne, I mean, a 20,000 leagues Nautilus model in it. And, um, you know, people just love that. I, I, I honestly believe that the Nautilus submarine is in my top one, two, or three iconic space or, you know, uh, science fiction craft. It's right up there with the Millennium Falcon. And, you know, to me, I, the design that Harper Goff did is unbelievably it's, it's really great and to build a full-size one indoor outside and indoors it was neat so we finally brought <clears throat> so i hired tom sherman and tom sherman literally instead of me taking my budget for show set design which is a whole group of people that just do drafting and all that tom literally did 300 napkin sketches when i say napkins they're on napkins okay he did napkin sketches of each and every detail, and I would hand it to the guys at the my, at the shop, and I go, "You build this," and I paid him instead of our show set people, and it worked unbelievably well. And I have a picture of Tony Baxter, me, and Tom in the pilot house, and um, and then Tom died a couple of years after this opened, and um, you know it was, it was, but I was so glad that he was able to. He was on the deck of the Nautilus. It was a dream come true for him. And it was really quite spectacular. It was, it was kind of fun, you know. You know, the, the, as you as you probably mentioned, as you probably can tell from me, it's like, this is not only a development story and all that stuff, but it's a people story. And people story about, stories about people who actually develop things and, and um, you know, um, and, and create things and, and love the same things. Love the same things you guys love, you know. It's just different. You know, it's, I mean, they might've had their hands into it, but the fact is the passion is all still there. And um, that's what I like about what I've done, so. And it, there's a huge fan base for the Nautilus for, you know, for a walkthrough attraction. It's something that is not as common across all the Disney parks. I think in Paris, so many yeah. people love it. And yeah. even um, even people who go in there for the first time, the the illusion is so incredible, so incredible. It is impossible to know where you are. You and <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, I yeah. it took me a while. Someone one day told me, you know, the show building is over there. And I was like, Good. I think I think yeah. I, I, I I think I part of it was me not actually thinking about it. I, and part of it was not even it, you it's such um crazy idea really, when you're not into the theme park designing business, that people are like, what do you mean? We, we went inside? And like, well, you were, but not inside this one. And, and also, 
there's this feeling that you have gone under the sea after it's just a walkthrough. But when you've walked through it and you come back on the other side, you really feel like you have gone so far. I, you really feel that you've been an adventure. And I yeah. think that's such that's the genius of this attraction. It's it's such a simple concept, really, in technically, but it really takes you so far away, and it's just a, an amazing moment just walking through it. Yeah, I, you know, I I love the fact that you know you didn't even think about it. I mean, I love that. I love the fact that you get caught up more in the environment, and not like when somebody goes, "Oh, well, that's kind of a reverse. It's it's a mirror and all that stuff." It's like, oh, really? I mean, to me, that's one of the reasons why when it comes to I'm not I'm not the kind of person when somebody does a magic trick, like, oh, tell me how it's done, because I just like I don't want to know how it's done, because I know I used I did a I did a magic club in in uh, in Macau and the guy who does it is he's, he's, he's like a guy who does big mechanical things. And I'm like, you know, don't tell me how you do it. But I had to know how these effects were done. And I'm like, I'm always disappointed. I'm like, I just want to believe that it's like magic, you know, like, because every time you go like, oh, and once you find the how to do it, like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. And you know, I, I love when I'm like, I don't know how they did it. How do you think they did it? I don't know. I have no, no idea. So we were, here's my story on, on, on the Nautilus that I thought will go with me for the rest of my life. Um, so I get a call from Philippe Bourguignon's office and uh, the submarine, I think had been opened, but still there was, you know, we opened it incrementally. Submarine was open. Uh, there, there was additional development that went on. They added uh, the, we added the Nautilus. Then they, they wanted to add, um, they finished off the station in Discovery Land and we got the money to build Space Mountain. And so it was part of a $200 million uh, advance we got. So anyway, so um, we had finished the Nautilus. I think it had been open, but this was late at night. It was dark. You know, it was like, I mean, well, in the wintertime, it gets dark at four o'clock in Paris. But um, <laughs> no offense. I mean, I kind of love it. I mean, it's open later. I mean, it's sun later in the summer. But um, so anyway, um, what, what, what Philippe had decided to do was he was, he was in desperate need of getting Space Mountain uh, sponsored, corporate sponsorship. And they tried, they tried, they tried. They couldn't get anybody to sponsor the pavilion. So his decision was he was going to have a very special dinner with all the existing corporate sponsors. Now, let me tell you a layer of complexity uh, that, that takes place in the theme park. When um, Disneyland Paris opened, we had, there were 11 corporate sponsors uh, throughout. And, and they brought in something like, um, Oh, like about $250 million in corporate sponsorship. They put their name on attractions and all that. So they had 11 of them and Discovery Land, and it's usually where the corporate sponsorships usually normally go is they go in the Tomorrowlands. Okay, so Discovery Land had our share of it. So I think we had seven of the corporate sponsorships and each one has a very demanding experience. Okay, it's very, you know, so, you know, Renault did Visionarium, Philips did... Uh, Videopolis, along with Coke, I think. BNP did Orbitron. IBM did uh, Star Tours. Kodak was Captain EO Theater. I think that that's all of them. Phillips, no, Phillips. Did I say Phillips for Videopolis? Well, anyway, because of the big stage, whatever. So Philippe couldn't get, couldn't get anybody to sponsor Space Mountain. And he thought, oh, man, this would be a big popular thing. You should be able to do it. So he couldn't get anybody. So he said, I'll get the sponsors who are currently 
uh, sponsoring attractions in, in uh, Discoveryland. And what we'll do is we'll end up doing kind of like this consortium of, of kind of a collective of sponsorships. So he says, um, so we're going to have this dinner and it's going to be in the Nautilus in the Grand Salon. I'm like, okay. So he says, you got to come, you got to come. I'm like, of course I have to come, right? So, um, so he said at like eight o'clock at night, you know, meet underneath the video uh, the Hyperion airship. So, you know, I go out there and all these people come up, the, 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 you know, these couples come up, all everyone dressed in suits. It was like the head of Coca-Cola Europe, the head of Kodak and the head of, you know, th them and their wives and their wives, right? And uh, I, you know, I don't know, Phillips, it wasn't all the sponsors. It wasn't like BNP or, or Mattel, but it was, it was like kind of the established ones. There might've been, a, I don't think Renault was there, but anyway, there was a, there was a group there. So there was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 of us or, or, there was either there was either nine, eleven, or thirteen because I was the odd man out, right? So we're, we're standing there, and I'm like, I have no idea what to expect here. So we're just standing there. Typical. The one thing about that I will say about Philippe is that he was. These guys all have kind of. They may be business guys, but they all have kind of a a really wonderful kind of sense of theater to them. So, <laughs> and so I see. Suddenly from the lighthouse, I see like six or eight, what appear to be, you know, French sailors. You know, they have the horizontal stripe, big broad stripe sweaters. And I think they're carrying some kind of torches and they're walking and step and they come walking up to us. And Discovery Lands, it's all empty, you know, it's black. It's, it's, I mean, some of the lights are, but you know, so please come with us. So we go on the scene. I'm thinking this is so far. I'm you had me at sailors, right? I'm there, right? So we go up and we walk down the um, circular staircase and we come into the grand salon. And so these guys, they're gone. So the door closes behind. And so we're all kind of waiting. And, and you see this in the middle of the salon is this beautiful table with all of these, I mean, they had these, um, and I can't quite explain it, but it looked like coral, but it was some kind of a, I don't know, something, I don't know what it was. It was, but anyway, it was just beautifully done, beautifully decorated, unbelievable how beautiful it was. So from behind the organ comes Captain Nemo and he welcomes everyone to his undersea kingdom. And he's going to be you know, Philippe is there and, you know, so he, he's like, I've got this wonderful dinner. And what I had done, what I had done is I left the iris window open and there is, there is a window, there is water there in that window, but it's, it, the, the squid was pushed back. So there's lighting effect in that room. So you just saw, you know, the lighting effect there. So, so Captain Nemo comes out, welcomes his tank to his kingdom and one of, you know, everything you're going to, having this dinner tonight is from the oceans, from the seas, you know, it's created in his farms, et cetera, et cetera. The whole story is beautifully told. And then he disappears. And so now it becomes, you know, we had this other, I forget who else was there, but Philippe kind of organized this whole dinner. And it was, it was so amazing. I mean, I, I, I have been trying to do a real honest to God underwater restaurant uh, a real one. Now I did did the one, the Coral Reef in the Libby Seas Pavilion, but that's kind of like you're on the side of the tank. This one, you really, you know, with that room and lighting, they get, they 
manipulated all the lights and all that stuff. This dinner was unbelievable. And I was like, you know, I have every project I've been on since I've, I've been trying to do an underwater restaurant. <laughs> and I think we should still do it for Disneyland Paris. I'm, I'm coming up with all these ideas because we're having this conversation. And if I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, why can't we just do an underwater restaurant? Yeah, yeah, I think we should do that. Well, they're building a lake next door, so maybe. <laughs> next door? Oh, where? Near, near, the, near Discovery Land? No, I mean, next door in the other park. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's too far to walk. Anyway, so this, I mean, so they kind of did this whole lovely dinner. And these people were fantastic and all that. I just, I mean, you know, I, I don't know really who these people were. I never met them, but they were really nice. And, and, uh, and Philippe had made his pitch to get, you know, see if anybody wanted to sponsor this pavilion. But uh, I don't think any, I mean, obviously no one, no one bid on it, but I will say that I'm, Sorry for that trip down memory lane, but it was really, truly spectacular. I mean, that's something that, uh, I mean, you could probably charge somebody $500 a night, I mean, for, for dinner. It was that well done. It was truly remarkable. And that's what those guys did. I mean, again, I, I go back to, I don't know if they do that kind of thing anymore, but, uh, you know, they really kind of, even the management there was kind of really big on theatrical stuff. So, so yeah, yeah so the Nautilus was, um, was great. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think if, all of us, right? <laughs> I don't know, if Patrick. I remember I told you I want to. One of my ideas was to have a, a birthday party dinner in the Nautilus. <laughs> I've been saying that for oh years. And if you need an endorsement, I'm I'm all. Well, you know. Well, you know, maybe um, maybe you can you can come and have dinner in the Nautilus again. Listen, I'll, I'll be there if I can get. If out I my... do, if I do rent out the the ship, I will definitely invite you. <laughs> That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I don't know. I just love that. You know, um, what I really liked about the Nautilus when we were building it and finishing it, and you know, I mean, it actually kind of all came together pretty quickly because it all had been finished in in, in California. Um, but it, it was it's as close to building a real movie set as you could as as we have. You know, a lot of times theme parks are different sizes and all, but that was really scaled for um, you know um, more of a movie kind of set, and so the lighting and special effects and the sound and, you know, the, the chains and the, you know, I mean, all that background sound and music is all part of, you know, everything that you do and you have to sign off on, you know, but it just, once it all comes together, you know, you look at sets and you're like, eh, okay, set looks beautiful, nicely painted. It's great. That's great. Then they add sound and they put water in it. And we had real water in the chamber and, you know, it was great. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, I, I would love to, I had a whole other ending that I wanted to do there. I wanted, I actually had a whole other story that I wanted to do where, where once you got into, into the engine room, suddenly something hits the side of the ship and the whole room starts to buckle. That's what I really wanted to do. Like, like we got a baby and mom's coming after it and it would scare the hell out of you. <laughs> I just think, I think the whole thing is breathtaking. And it actually has, I'm kind of weird and that it's got, I think my favorite detail in any Disney park, and it's right at the end, actually. I love the little turnstile, like the little paddle turnstile as you leave. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you wish the Nautilus could have been a full-fledged attraction with a ride? Do, do you think I would want a, a, a walkthrough or a full-blown attraction? <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> Of course, of course. I mean, you know, I mean, what happens is it, what happened was literally, I'll go back and say like, um, 
Michael Eisner and Frank Wells were really concerned that the park is going to be so popular they need more capacity. I, I briefly mentioned this about 10 minutes ago. And they said, well, we'll give you $215 million okay, to do that. So the, what they did is that they said, all right, um, you know, 200, or $200 million, something like that, some, like $200 million. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but anyway, so what I did is I got, I got as I said, I got, they, they, wanted to, they wanted to have a stop in Discoveryland Discover Station because there was not a stop there on opening day. That was number one. Number two, we were going to do the Nautilus. And number three, oh, I think number three was paying for the extended part of Star Tours. And the fourth part of that was uh, Space Mountain. Now, I got most of the money. The, the rest of the, uh, the money that was available, most of that, uh, or all, all of the other part that was there, I think Tom Morris expanded Fantasyland with um, uh, Casey Jr. And then there was a Ferris wheel windmill kind of thing that he did. But I got most of that. Or I didn't get the land got it. And um, so we were able to build it. So you have $15 million or 12 or $15 million to build an Nautilus, and, you know. So yeah, that's what we want to do. Because it, it the, um, I guess maybe, you know, you go back to those original Discovery Mountain renderings. I always had the, the, the uh, Nautilus sitting right in that lagoon inside Discovery Mountain. So there was always, I think, I don't know, no one actually articulates this, but there was always a connection between the Space Mountain and Jules Verne Cannon and all that with the submarine ride in front. And the sub was, you know, it's a Disney thing. And it's a Jules Verne thing, you know. So like, you kind of you kind of go with it, and and, and to compose it, you know. Like I look at everything as a Kodak picture spot. So you know, when you do the, here's the cannon in the foreground, here's the Nautilus. So it's a picture spot. Yeah, let's do it. And that's generally how things started like that because it wasn't started as an attraction. It was going to be a walkthrough. So it's like I think walkthroughs are a bit passive. That's why I, that I, I wish. But you know you have to work to your budget. You know it doesn't do anybody any good as a designer if you go, oh, you know, and they go, we want to build something. Okay, we want to build. We use a, a very specific example. We want to build. You know, we're going to build a Nautilus submarine, and we're going to do a walkthrough. And you go great, and then you start designing a whole attraction, and, and, and oh, and oh, and your budget's fifteen million dollars. If you come and do a present presentation where you've got a whole attraction, and it's now seventy-five. It's a really short meaning. Like, what is this? You know, as I think of this, you know, um, I'm currently right now in that part of my house. My kitchen's being, our kitchen's being completely redone. So if I, if I go to the contractor and I go, this is my budget, and he comes back, go, oh, I can make your kitchen twice as big and all this and it'll cost you, you know, a million dollars. Like, yeah, but I don't have a million dollars. I mean, it's like related to yourself. And biz, these are businesses, you know, Disney has. So the, the, the key is how do you make it as great as possible and stay on budget? And I, you know, was able to keep things on budget. That's a, you know, that's, it's a business. You know, it's, it's this, it's this dynamic of creativity and business and making it work and being successful. You know, the worst thing you could do is, you know, get stuff that people don't like. And I've worked on projects like that. And I think, and I think you did, the best of it because I can't think of a better walkthrough really to be honest in terms of the experience and and everything the 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 details the everything it just really works Even, well you know. I mean after all these years I'm actually very thrilled that you said what you said and said that you I mean that you guys still like it and I mean you like it and that um um 
you know, it was an experience that you remember and you can have and, and, and you didn't know where it was, but you know, there are all those little tricks to it because a lot of times you create something and you're like, how's anybody going to react to this? You know? So you don't know, you know, you really don't know. It's amazing when people just like, you know, like I said, when I'm taking that hydrolator, the first time I went in with cat with guests on the hydrolator at the seas pavilion, I thought I was just sitting like looking around going, people are going to start laughing and they're going to roll their eyes and, and people are standing there going, you know, the walls are rolling around you and, you know, it looks like you're descending down. I learned how, you know, the way you want to create movement is always in your peripheral vision. It's not in front, it's here. You know, have you ever, you ever been in your car and a bus is next to you and it starts moving and you hit the brake? Like my car's moving. No, because it's here. You see movement here. So we did that, that triangular thing where the, where the rolling rock walls were on the sides. So people are like, the doors opened up and we went out and I'm like they bought it (laughs) but they don't they just they they people have a tendency to accept it they just like because it's done well it's done well and so you're like oh they just accept it yeah and I, I think there's a testament to that in that even though I'm sure everyone here can back me up, even though you know the illusion and where the show building is. Every single time I go under there, I totally buy that I'm in that submarine. I feel like I've just walked out of it. Oh, absolutely. I forget. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think about it. I, the, the answer, the right answer to that, which is what you just said, I don't, don't even think about it. I just like, oh, it was really cool. I really liked it. That is, the, that, you know, like, again, it's that magic trick, how they do it and how they did it. And it's like, yeah. And because I, because I said, well, why don't I just flip this? We couldn't, we couldn't put it underneath. There was no way there was, right. you couldn't get people to evacuate. You couldn't, I mean, there's a million safety issues, but it was like, oh, I never thought of it. It was just like, oh, I remember that. It was really great. I really enjoyed it. And, and I liked those, that exit, uh, those paddles on the exit turnstiles. I mean, I, you know, when you say that, it's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's all about creating the illusion. And, and not, it's not that you're buying it hook, line and center sinker what you're doing is that you're accepting it as an experience that you went through and you went yeah okay this is really this is great jeff should we talk quickly about star tours by the way i have a question you know um i have a question because i haven't seen it because i don't understand it for those who have been to disneyland paris recently when i put the x-wing in at this angle that you walked underneath Mm. so i mean i did that because Again, in that spirit of, you know, let's build skull rocks and pirate ships and Hyperion airships and Nautilus submarines. So I wanted to have this X-Wing, you know, because I like people like to go through stuff. So now I've seen it's been, I've seen it's been moved to the top of the Star Trader shop. I mean, does anybody look at it? Yeah, um, it kind of just is chilling there, like, because right under it is like the meet and greet for like usually oh. like Darth Vader and stuff. But um, I usually... T- take most note of it when I'm doing like the railroad because it's right there and sometimes like you see little kids trying to run to it and the cast members always have to be like no like don't go near there (laughs) yeah so so you're happy the way it works it works out okay I mean I personally like it I don't know what everyone else thinks because I I've because I've only the first time I was went to Paris was two years ago so I've never seen all the original stuff that quite a few fans Uh, have so uh, this is uh, all like my like 
they were your, my your reality <laughs> yeah so i of course of course i think i think the there was a whole redesign of the area and so the the star tours exits um you know post show that had arcade games is now star traders a much bigger star wars theme shop and so star traders which was <laughs> yeah star traders which was uh what what now is starport is a, is now a meet and greet and i think they use the x-wing to sort of justify the name of starport as in like this is now a landing strip before there was the the, the antenna on top yeah right okay. but i think i think you you sort of put into words how i've been feeling about that actually because i honestly don't know to sit up there it's been sort of years since I've kind of gone, oh, yeah, there's the X-Wing up there. Whereas before it was it was always something that's, you know, I'm underneath it or I've got to take a picture of it because it's up there. Where I, was it originally? It was sort of beginning of by the, the queue, entrance. Beginning of the queue line. And it was, what happened is it was, it was, um, it had a, had had a uh, post that came inside the body. So it looked like, you didn't see it I mean, I probably should have built it so it looked like it was being serviced, right? But it was the the wings were like that. I don't know. There's there's a there's like a an angle like it, so you it, it was an angle. It was banked like this, oh, and okay. you right underneath it, you could probably put, reach up and touch it. Okay. It's that close. Yeah. And again, I, it, it was it was like I did it just because I I mean I just like the way that I just like the proximity of it. I don't like things so far away, you know. Um, so anyway, but then then I looked at it and I said, and then I saw this thing on top, and I went like, did they build another one? And they go, oh no, they just moved that one. I was like, oh okay. And I've not been there. I don't know the context of it all, so I don't know. I really, I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Work. I think, so I think, I think to be honest, it was it was more a change for the sake of changing. I feel, mm -hmm. and I like you know we talked we talked before about how Orbitron, you see it from from the hub, and it sort of like pulls you into Discoveryland. I feel like. The X-Win where it was before, you could see it as soon as you pass Orbitron, or even if you're on the side of Orbitron, you could see it in the back and you and it would it would kind of tell you like what's going on over there. Like, is that a is there a ship taken off? Like what do I get to go near it? Do I get, to, you know, and now that it's on top of Star Traders, you don't really see it from many angles of the main part of the land. Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of the change. They built this entrance that looks like this. Star Tours logo, which has become more recognizable over the years. So it is still some some sort of a beacon, but I think it doesn't quite excite people as much as um, the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if if we haven't had the budget, I mean, I would have loved to, have, you know, you know, like what they did at the Studio Tour in Florida. You know, they had the big act walkers. You know, the big walking things. I mean, I I, I don't know. I just like that stuff. Anybody can do signs, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I'm just. And they did. Yeah. They did all this roughly at the same time as. So they did hyperspace mountain, Star Tours: The Adventures Continue, and uh, the shop remodeling and the meet and greet. That that all sort of happened, I think, within two or three months of each other. Actually, something like that. Is that when they added the um, other statue, like from Wally, as well? No, the Wally thing's been there for. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe even up ten or so years now. It's just sort of been plonked there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't I mean, make that much sense. I think that's part of that branding thing they want to do. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cut, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not part of that, so I don't know. 
I don't know if, the, if if we're allowed to ask, but can we ask your opinion on, you kind of touched on it earlier, and I know we're t- coming away from Ceratos, and I'm really sorry, but <laughs> just about like uh, the hyperspace mountain overlay on Space Mountain, because it's a very heated subject of discussion within the fan community, because the original vision from De La Terre à la Lune and, uh, you know, the the kind of the the soul of the attraction doesn't the exterior and the interior not really working together is like a real hot topic and i was just wondering if we could ask your opinion on that well um uh, mission two i never saw i never saw it uh i can only imagine that there are people at imaginary cursing uh the fact that the mountain looks the way it does um, because it doesn't fit into the normal kind of white, white space mountain, you know. Um, so I, I never saw it. And I, you know what? I've not even seen. I've not even been able to get to see the the, the, uh, uh, the star uh, hyperspace mountain. I've, every time I go to Disneyland, it's like a you know two hour wait, and I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> I would love to see it. I, I would love to see it, but I don't have. I don't have the time to. I really don't have time to go. So it's just too bad <clears> that <throat> the the story doesn't match the show building anymore because no, we still it, have this it, big cannon. It it doesn't match, and and um. But again, I think that that goes to the fact of that. I mean, who could have, who can anticipate that? You know, the only thing I don't want them to do, which will make me really unhappy, is if they try and repaint that building so it's white or some ridiculous thing like that. Um, I don't know. I just um. Yeah, I, I, the the one thing that most people don't know, they've not ridden on it, and you know the ride was, I mean, it was super good when it was open. Now it's you know those rides don't get better as they get older; they get kind of rougher. Like I said, th- I just think that those those new contemporary branding themes just don't you know don't match with with the rest of the building. You know, but who would have known that? Nobody would have ever known that. I mean, who, who knows what we're going to do? You know? Yeah, um, I was. I remember being super confused the first time because again, never, never saw the original, still upset about that. But um, it's just like, it was like, you see, like you go in and it's like suddenly Star Wars and you're like, okay, what was the whole Jules Verne steampunk thing? It very much brings you out of it. Like, cause I feel like what you were saying before with the whole, like you shouldn't question like the stuff, you should just experience mm. it. And that definitely takes you out of it. Cause you're like, wait, I thought this was like, Jules Verne, like there's the Nautilus is out there. Why is R2D2 talking to me or something like that? Yeah. There's there's a few things sort of hovering around there as well. So to add to the confusion uh a little bit, you've still got the the waiting rooms still sort of are as they were, with maybe a couple of extra Star Wars banners instead just thrown in there. But recently they've changed the trains. And what they did is they took the, the original design and they the new design trains are very sort of de la terra la lune. It, it's very inspired by that. And then again, you don't get the matching experience with with the with the actual ride at the end. Well, you know the um, the the thing that's interesting about that is, that, I mean, with the exception of the cannon, which is kind of very Victorian-y kind of in a way, um, all the other um, elements. The mount, if you look at the mountain itself, and if you look at the vehicles. If you look at the kind of um, uh, uh, design vocabulary of Star Wars, Star Wars is all very mechanical. It's not that far off. Maybe the colors are different, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm sure they're, you know, damn him, why did he design this this way? I'm, you know, 
Uh, all, all I can say is, oh, what I, I think I, what I was going to say before, I remember what it was. Um, you know, when I talk about this, other people have not been on it. <clears throat> the one thing that, you know, when people, what they don't really understand, what they don't realize until I tell them this, uh, Space Mountain of Paris is twice as fast as any of the other Space Mountains. Right? It gets up to 55 miles an hour. And the other ones, like Space Mountain in Disneyland, doesn't go more than 27. And it's not necessarily you feed, feel like a lack of, of speed, but there is, you know, it's because of its compression and it's the turning and dynamics because they had to compress all that with the load and load in the building. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, I had a bit of a challenge myself when I was in Hong Kong when I was in charge of doing uh, Tomorrowland in Hong Kong, um, I had to build the same Space Mountain that they had in Disneyland in 1977. And uh, I was like, why? But that was the era that we were in. You know, it was, it was, they just wanted to duplicate it and build, you know, build, build, a, build an attraction, not, you know, it wasn't the creative driver that needed to be. And they was, so that was, that's kind of tough to do. It's kind of like, you know, um, you, you, you had a bicycle and now you invented, air, you invented the airplane. So, but we're going to go back and let's go back and build the bicycle again. I'm like, uh, no. It's funny because <laughs> there is one good thing. The catapult a, still makes a good hyperspace jump. It does? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. After Paris, you did a lot of work. You've already discussed a little bit in California on Paradise Pier. I think for me, one of my most burning questions about Paradise Pier is about the swinging gondolas. I, I love the swinging gondolas in a kind of Good they're absolutely that. terrifying kind of way. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea of doing those? Well, it's, you know, what we did is it, when you when you launch into a project, you end up going on, you know. Uh, so one of the things I was doing was the, the California Amusement Park ride side of it, the whole thing. And so... Um, so did like a nationwide survey of all these parks. We went to Coney Island, went to oh, uh, Car our, um, Kennywood and Pittsburgh. And I mean, we went to all these parks all around the country. And, and when you know the history of, of seaside amusement parks, they were kind of a, a, a main um, element of the Disney, or excuse me, of the um, growth of California in the beginning of the 20th century. There were a total of 20 amusement parks there. There's only like two or three now, you know, but it was a big, it was a big deal. So, you know, you do a lot of research. And so the Wonder Wheel, the Wonder Wheel in Coney Island is, um, has those kind of, it's the only one I've been on, you know, that secondary track. So my challenge when we're doing Paradise Pier is that how do we do something that's really extraordinary? So when it came to the coaster, obviously, you know, I wanted to run, it's a different catapult launch system, but I wanted to run the length of the boardwalk. And then, you know, you, you go all the way through that ride. So we do a Ferris wheel. I mean, everybody's been on a Ferris wheel. So we got Intamin to build the, um, the, the swinging gondola ones, but a little to my disappointment, to be honest with you, is that they use the same kind of bogeys on those vehicles that they use on roller coasters. So what happens is that, and, and, and the, the Wonder Wheel in, in Coney Island is basically like casters on a, on a chair, you know, it's like they're kind of cheese ball. There's a channel and there's a chair. And so it kind of goes done, okay. And it's kind of thrilling. I went, oh my God, if we're gonna do something, we gotta find somebody who can build us one of these, you know, that's what I want. 
So we finally get the thing and I'm like telling people it's going to be really unique and all that. So then I get on it the first time and, you know, it's on that kind of ellipsoid kidney shaped kind of track and the ride slim and it goes like this 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 and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to drive people nuts. <laughs> so, so I'm like, is there any way to dampen this? And then they really, really couldn't. I thought that they could because I think when it swings out, it's pretty neat. And then it kind of, kind of does that, and then it settles down, and then goes down, and then it kind of does it again. But you know, sometimes people are not used to that kind of animation or you know, kind of kinetics. And so, um, but it's different, and it's a visual thing to look at. And, and like, you want to maximize everything you're doing when you're doing something that's normal. You know. Um, and it's such an unsettling feeling because I didn't realize what they were doing when I got on the first time. <laughs> and I was really almost regretting getting on. I was See, like, I okay. did. And I still felt absolutely terrified. <laughs> I was sort it's of confused. It's, it's categorically the most terrifying experience I've had in a theme park slash Disney park. Literally have like California screaming right there. Nope, serious thing. No, no, it's like the swinging and I was like, it's never again. I can't do it again. I'll take the like non-singer ones. Thank you. Because, you know. You mean the wheel? Uh, Well, how how about screaming? That's a pretty good coaster. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Love it. Uh, But I would take California screaming a million times before getting that swinging gondola again because I was like petrified. Oh, I'll always do the swinging gondola as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think as long as as you don't get sick or anything or as long as you don't like, you know, I mean, if you really, really hate it, then I had nothing to do with it. If you love it, then I'm like... (laughs) I I love it. I love it in a I hate it kind of way. No, no, it's good. It's (laughs) It's more just fear. Yeah, it's so scary. It's so scary. And actually mentioning California screaming, that was one of our uh, one of our questions. Um, there's a lot of uh, similarities with Space Mountain if you really think about it. The the launch, which is sort of like more of a flat, and uh, and so what was what was the idea uh, for that attraction? Was it just to take the classic roller coaster, boardwalk roller coaster, but make it more exciting, make it different? To make it more of a Disney kind of coaster to make it definitely more Disney. So let me tell you the story and how we do this because you might be interested in this. Um, the ride engineer for that attraction is a guy by the name of Pat Doyle. And Pat is a young guy. And, and um, so what we did is, remember how I said, you know, we'd like to write a story about something? Well, we actually wrote a script for that ride. We wrote that, read, you know, what, what you normally do and what you, when you do coasters, high-speed coasters like that, what you have to do, the best rides in my opinion like that it's kind of like a theatrical play, okay? You have act one, you have act two, and between act one and act two, you have a lift that prepares you for the big final act three, okay? And that's what you do. It, it allows basically, you, you, you try to calculate what people, the dynamics on a body is gonna be. You want people to be excited, you know? There's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of, body dynamics that people can accept and the things that, and there's some that they don't like. I hate teacups, I can't spin, I don't like it. Uh, in my search for, you know, good rides, I went on a couple of rides that just throw me nuts. You know, you can go to Viper at Magic Mountain and you can go through seven loops in 45 seconds. And I had a headache for the rest of the day, okay? Now, as you get older and you get as old as I am, I mean, I can't do this stuff at all anymore, but um, when you, you, you just can't handle, you know, the inner ear and it kind of makes you all kind of wacky. And then I also went on another ride. Uh, there was an aero coaster at Circus Circus in Las Vegas, where it literally went through and it was a really tight loop 
it was more of an ellipsoid type loop. And I went through that loop and I came out of that loop and I was, I was seeing stars. And that's because the dynamics of it are so severe, the blood runs out of your brain. And what I did is that I went, is that really what happened? So I got back in the line and I wrote it again. And sure enough, it did it again. So this prepares me for what I'm going to do. So I sit down with Pat Doyle and we say, here's what I want. We're going to do it. We're going to do a linear induction system. It's going to fire us down the length of the boardwalk because again, I want the guests on board to be part of the show. So people hang on that edge and you hear that five, four, three, two, one, and people get launched, you know, up to 24, 20, or whatever it is, 50 miles, 60 miles an hour in about four seconds. So when you do that, you know, people, when, when you're, when you accelerate in a car, it's positive G's on you and you can take that. You know, it's like when you get light, uh, that's severely light. That's where people get upset and bothers your inner ear. So fire this thing down the length of the boardwalk, go up the hill. And then it comes down and it goes down a whole kind of that whole bank turn. Okay. So, so you physically can calm down. And then you kind of get ready to go. And I don't know all the exact sequences, but we wrote these sequences. So I said, you know, then I, you know, I said, all right, we're going to do this. And then you have every moment. I mean, every episode that you have, you have a moment of reduced stress and then it kind of drops down again. And then you have another episode of calming you down and banking on those turns. Um, the ride's 6,000 feet long. It's over a mile. It's over a mile length. And so, you know, we kind of plan each one. And I said, all right, it's all intimate. When, you know, what they do is that they, when they do their ride systems, they basically have standard ride track systems. It's a little bit like, you know, snapping uh, track together on a, on a, on a uh, little railroad, toy railroad. You know, it's like, they'll take this section, put it with that section. You know, I need a bank like this, because that's good. You know, it's good for people. You know, it makes them feel happy. So when it comes to the loop, I need the least stress loop you have in your catalog. Now, that doesn't mean it's a circle, but there are certain dynamics that they know equations on. I, and so I know that it's a long run. You can see it coming, and then you go into it, smooth and you're out, okay? So then you come back around, go down the other side, and now, boom, now we're going to go up the, the lift. And you're going up the lift, and you can go like, Calm down, you know, you relax a little bit, little view, get a view looking at Disneyland, you know, and then it drops off and it's now coming down to the ending. And then those turns at the end, uh, uh, well, no, you, you come down around and we make another last pass down the length of the boardwalk. Now, when I was a kid, we used to go out to the desert out here and, and, um, there's a road called the Pear Blossom Highway. And because it's a desert, the road, the road does this. What happens is that it stays above the desert and then it has to drop down because when you have desert flood storms coming out of the mountain, they go down these gullies and they don't want to go across. So they dip the road down. So my dad would get on the car. and He would drive out there and he did it by accident forever. After we'd go there, I go, speed up. So it goes, whoop, whoop, and you do this, and you get light, come back, and you light up, and it's like, it's like this whole kind of undulating highway. So I said, Pat, at the end of this ride, as people are coming back into their final, 
you know, you have those big turns at the end. And what you're doing is you're scrubbing off speed. You're coming out of that. So this is like looping, looping, looping like that. Well, what happens is it, it gets light and it's fun. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not like free fall where you're just literally falling. It's terrifying. It's you're kind of getting light and people giggle and laugh and all that stuff. So that then you come in. So you do that and then you go scrub off the speed and then slam on the brakes as you come into the brake zone. Right. So the, the, the point happens to be that what you do is there's a lot of engineering that's involved. There's also a lot of your own personal taste for what you think is a ride. And as I said, it's not the fastest, it's not the tallest, it's not world, you know, not any of those things. But what it is, this is a, in my opinion, what our goal was to develop and design the most perfect Disney coaster you could get. Not a Space Mountain thing, not a Big Thunder thing. You know what it is. So what I had to do is convince everybody, we're not going to do a wooden coaster. And I don't like uh, the way Universal has those big kind of pylons with a ride on it and it says this is the green monster coaster. And I mean, I so what we did is that I said, we're going to build what appears to be a wooden coaster, but it's all going to be steel. It has 300 percent uh, uh, overbuilt in terms of its structural integrity. So it's not going anywhere, which is good, you know, because you don't want these things. Co wooden coasters, I mean, it, it, there is not a wooden coaster in the world that survives the, um, uh, the workload that Disney puts through attractions. So what it also did is because that coaster is a thousand feet across, by putting all that structure in there, all that white kind of fake, you know, looks like a wood coaster because that's, you know, it's meant to be nostalgic. It also blocks out all of Anaheim behind it. You don't see the Anaheim Convention Center. And the problem with Disney's California Adventure, not the problem, but the situation with Disney's California Adventure is it doesn't have a berm around it. So we how do we hide everything? Okay, so I'm using, so I push the coaster to the back, as far back as you can get. So you don't see it. So you see the white coaster. And then we had, then I had originally designed every joint has a star on it as we were gonna put a whole star field or you know, whole lighting effect on it. And I also put the lagoon in front because I needed energy there. You just can't have, you know, I needed to have that land. I mean, I, I needed that. So that's what we did. So, yeah, so the coaster is, is you know, there's a reason why everything is that way. And I will tell you that the most, again, a very gratifying thing is that so many people that I knew at Imagineering would come to me and say, oh, you know, I got to tell you, we were down at DCA and my, you know, nine-year-old daughter is terrified of thrill rides. But I convinced her Greenland would be a good coaster. And it's her favorite ride. And we couldn't, all we did is a ride screaming over and over again. I go, yeah, well, that's what we want. It's a Disney kind of a coaster so that you end up, you know, not having to be exhausted or having a headache for the rest of the day. I, you know, that's not what you want to really want to do. So um, that's one of the reasons why I remember the first meeting we had presenting its upper management. It was Michael Eisner and Michael Ovitz, if you can imagine. Um, so I did this whole elevation. Uh, it was basically all the attractions were there with the coaster behind it. And there was this one, you know, the loop went through with Mickey's ears on it. And they were like, yeah, okay, we're done. Done. Wrap it, you know. And, and so every night on the local news, ABC channel here, you know, they would show Paradise Pier with the mouse, you know, the coaster going through the mouse head, you know. Now, going back to what we talked about, the X-Wing, they made changes. They took the ears off it. And, I, and, and please don't ask me why, because... 
I have no idea why they would do things like that, but that's my opinion. And and also, this the coaster became really iconic because uh, California Adventure didn't really have that many icons to begin with, and so it became really just a symbol of the park. And also, it became such an amazing backdrop for World of Color, which came, yeah. you know, years later. Um, and now it's sort of like the the whole it's it's part of the show. So it has like this whole new purpose since since they did World of Color. <laughs> As it should be, as it should be. I mean, I, I completely, it was going to be a backdrop. We always thought it would be a backdrop. And so then, then people come in and make it a backdrop. And they're like, well, you didn't make it as a backdrop. We had no money for that park. Okay. I mean, I'll just tell you that. I mean, I, 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 I'm not even going to talk about it, but I'm just going to tell you the budget wasn't there to do that park right. But anyway, I mean, I think this is great. I'm glad. I'm always happy to talk. And, and, I'm, and I'm hoping, I mean, again, I, I can't stress enough that. You know, I, I probably get more high profile exposure, but there's a lot of people that take to do this stuff. And, um, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's truly, you know, it, you develop a family. I mean, on all the attractions I did, all the attractions, it's like you gather together a team and you're like a family because sometimes you're closer than they are all the time. And, and then you, and then, you know, it's gone. And then you go to this next team and then you, you know, and because you, you know, I, when I, when I run a team, I have a very specific set of rules that, you know, basically have to have a working studio space. I will have, um, like we did DCA, I, you know, and I'm, because, because my background is, a, is, is an artist. I mean, I learned all this and I'm a designer and I draw all the time and all that stuff. So I, I, I approach it as that way. You know, like I said, some producers and directors are more writer kind of people. But anyway, so I, I, I request that I need like 50 or 60 feet of uh, wall space so we can pin everything up. And then when the projects get running and people start working, then I insist that at 8.30, we have like, we have, we can, it can be anywhere from five to 25 people, or maybe let's say 20 people on your immediate team. And they sit around the table at 8.30 in the morning. And basically it's a huddle. And the intent of the meeting is not to have the meeting. But what happens is that you have to tell people what's going on, what the milestones are, how's everybody doing. And if some conversation takes longer then they have a separate meeting. But I, you know, the way you keep in control of things is that you have to make sure that everybody is kind of wrangled around and this table is right, is wrapped, the, the, the walls are wrapped around this table. And if somebody has a better idea, it's like, okay, let's take that drawing down and put your drawing up. That's better, you know, and let's just do that. And it's a way by keeping control that you can keep control of, of cost and budget and story, theme and all that. And on top of that, when you have that kind of situation, when you get a call saying, Michael Eisen is bringing the board of directors over here and they want to go on a tour. Like, and I'm always the first one to call. They're like, you know, here it is. And it looks like, wow, this is right. And it looks great. It looks great. All this artwork is just great. It's been pinned up and big drawings and, you know, some sketches and some little tiny things or something kind of crazy. And, you know, that's the way it should be. If the process of creating something isn't fun, then the end product won't be. And that's the way you have to look at it. So on that note, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. 
It was great. It was great. Always wonderful talking to you guys. It's great. I hope that uh, keep the spirit. Disneyland Paris is my favorite. So I mean, I, I mean it. I'm ser very serious about that. So and you know, we we have a very uh, there's a very big Disneyland Paris fan community, and I think I, I talk for everyone to say, you know, we're so grateful that you created such a wonderful park and so much attention, so many details. Um, it's really, it's really a work of art and Discoveryland is unique and really we're, we're very grateful for everything you created. So thank you um, for all your work. That's right. Um, one last thing. Can you see behind me where this skeleton is? Uh, vaguely, yes. yes. It's like yeah. a pirate. Looks like yeah, a pirate. he's got a pirate head, it's a skeleton. Right? <laughs> okay, so when we changed, we did the marquee for Discovery Mountain. So when Eisner came in and changed it to space, back to Space Mountain, so the sign was a big D, a D, and then the rest of it was Discovery, you know, the, right? So, so they just took the D and the Discovery down and they put space, a big S with Space Mountain, I just bolted it right to the marquee, you know? So the big D is sitting right over there. The team gave it to me. And so oh, it's wow. the big original D from the marquee. It's about, you can't see it. It's, it's hidden behind there. But you know, one of these days I'll light it up. It's got flash glass in it. It's kind of amazing. People all think when they see those DMs on the mountain it has something to do with me and it has nothing to do with me. But um, you know, that was a traumatic thing changing it from Discovery Mountain to Space Mountain. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about that, yeah. Well, I'll give it to you in two seconds. I'm standing in a walkway. I'm, I'm, I'm walking with Eisner <clears throat> and we're walking between uh, Videopolis and where the mountain is coming from, from Star Tours. And the management of Disneyland Paris goes, you know, Michael, uh, this mountain's great, but you know, we don't have a Discovery Mountain brand. We have a Space Mountain brand. So I'm like, uh-oh. So Michael goes, Okay, fine. It's now Space Mountain. So now you have no reason not to make this thing a huge success and make money, and that's what I need to do. And I'm like, I'm like, ah, what? What did you? What did you just do to me? Too late. <laughs> done. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Done. I so, mean, I got the, so I got the D out of it. That's what I got out. Of it. <laughs> anyway. Which is pretty awesome. But I mean, yeah, I understand like when you worked on this whole concept and all of a sudden they changed the whole name. Oh yeah. Well, because he was like, he's like, okay, now you have no excuse. I mean, it's like I'm used as a foil for that. But I mean, it, it, it's, it's not a personal thing. It's just that, you know, they were, you know, it, it was, as I said, it was a tough time economically and, and he, you know, he wasn't going to put up with anybody's because if it, if it didn't work, if if that if this space mountain attraction or discovery mountain whatever whatever you call it if it didn't work they would have said oh well you know we couldn't market it because we're, we're you know everybody knows space mountain we don't know discovery mountain. so nobody came yeah well, you could have called it you could have called it brick mountain and then people would have come because it's yeah. the attraction it's how it all worked together so you know it's a, so it was a fight with marketing you know yeah, I mean, I, I mean, unfortunately, I understand it. Just sometimes, you know, like, but the reason I wanted it to be Discovery Land, even though Discovery Mount, even though it was not, <clears throat> it was not the big original one. It is, it is a Space Mountain. There's Space Mountains and there's Discovery Mountain. Okay, and it's so different than any of the other ones. 
Of course. And the impact it had on the parks was so different that I thought it needed its own name. But lost that battle, and that's ancient history. So, anyway. Thankfully, we still have the beautiful attraction. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. Nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.